Let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 10 where Paul read for us in verses 22 through 30. Even though um, the primary verse is gonna be 22 and we won't be back to John to finish it, the rest of the verses till the end of the Bible study. And here's the reason why. We are between books right now. We're between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And when that happens, sometimes I like to uh, take a Sunday, uh, do an update, and I was thinking about it, and then I realized that last Sunday was the beginning of Hanukkah. As you sit here this morning, this is the last day of Hanukkah. And so what we're going to do is, some of you don't know what Hanukkah is, um, if you like light, fluffy Bible studies, better leave now. <laughs> because we're, this is gonna be one of the more in-depth studies you're ever gonna um, be under. We're gonna be in Daniel 11, which is said, it's written over a 375 year period of time, um, just chapter 11 of Daniel 11. And the history, that's all past tense, except for an, um, one of the main points I'm doing this is to present something that's gonna happen in the future that's in Daniel chapter 11. But it is so accurate that the critics of the scriptures say there's no way that the book of Daniel, it had to be written after the facts. In other words, after these things took place. And we can prove that it was not. And um, with uh, that much being said, today is the last day of Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? Well, it's usually observed late November or December. They don't go by the calendar, they go by the full moon. Uh, it is also known as the Festival of Lights. Now if you look at verse 22 of John 10, now it was the Feast of Dedication. This is, you might have a Bible that says this is the Feast of Lights. It was a Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter. And that's all we're gonna read for right now. So this is a feast that is celebrated today and uh, the little kids dress up in um, different fun costumes and, and do things with this. Uh, the Feast of Dedication, also known as the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah, is an eight-day Jewish holiday celebrating the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem in the second century BC. Hanukkah is a Hebrew word for dedication. The history of the holiday is tied to the time when Israel was struggling for existence. It is believed that after a successful revolt against a tyrannical monarch, we'll get to him, he'll be our main character this morning, uh, the victorious Jewish community could find very little pure olive oil to light the menorah. Now, olive oil and temple olive oil 
are two different things. It has to go through a a special purification process. And in this case, um, everybody knows what a menorah is, the seven-branched candlestick. Uh, Well, um, um, Hanukkah um, menorah has eight uh, for the eight days. It's different than um, the typical menorah that you would have found in the in the temple. Only enough; they only had enough pure oil for one day. However, the oil lasted for eight days, long enough to purify more oil. Jewish people light a candle on each of the eight evenings in remembrance of God's provision. The Israelites were not allowed to worship during the Maccabean struggle, uh, for they would be put to death. And um, we'll get into the man who um, gave so much grief to the Jewish people. The Hebrews, though, thought up a plan to enable them to worship to serve Yahweh next to their holy books, that what they kept was a little top which is called a dreidel. This is a dreidel. So the guy's name is Antioch Epiphanes and he would enforce and he outlawed the Jews to worship in any way and form. But they did it anyway. And whenever they saw a Greek coming uh, they would put aside their books and they would take this and they would spin it Uh, I'll tell you what a dreidel is if a Greek came by they quickly put away their books and pretended to be playing the dreidel game the dreidel saved many lives a dreidel is a four-sided spinning top made of wood clear plastic a Hebrew letter is written on each four sides the four letters of the dreidel include the nun, N-U-N, the gamel, the he, and the shin, S-H-I-N. These letters represent the Hebrew phrase, a great miracle happened. And that would be enough oil for one night that lasted for eight. And it, it commemorates that. A great miracle happened. Dreidels in Israel changed one letter to read the phrase, a great miracle happened here. Now, uh, what we will see this morning is a pattern of Old Testament events that I've been trying to incorporate into our Sunday morning messages as we've been going through Corinthians. And I've been wanting you to see a certain pattern that existed. So this morning's message is going to take a little bit of time to lay the foundation so you can see where we're going to connect all of this together along with this verse, the Feast of Dedication. And it is still celebrated. It is um, the only feast that is not mentioned in the Old Testament because the Maccabean Revolt took place at about 164, 165 B.C., So this would have been after uh, the book of Malachi. And so this event, the victory with the Maccabean revolt, it happened during the Old Testament and the New Testament. Everybody with me so far? Okay, 
So what I would like to do is, I could use many examples, but I only want to use a couple to make my point. Um, What we'll see this morning is a pattern of Old Testament events that um, uh, have similarities, let's put it that way. Uh, Here's just just a couple. And I'm actually going to have you go back with me and ask you to turn to these scriptures. And the first one is in um, Daniel chapter 2. So if you'll turn to Daniel 2. Much of our study this morning is going to be in Daniel. And we find um, in Daniel chapter 2, we have Nebuchadnezzar not bowing down to the image that was six cubics by six cubics by six. Right away, you should be thinking images, bowing down to them, or you don't die. Does everybody know my hint? We're talking about Revelation 13. And if you don't worship the image, then you're put to death. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, refused to do so because of the second commandment, thou shalt not bow down to any graven image, but only to the Lord your God. So here's 120 provinces represented. Orchestra, big to do, and everybody bowed down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go tell Nebuchadnezzar. It says he was very furious, and he said, I want to see him. Bring him in. So they brought him in, and because um, they were friends of Daniel, which I'm going to bring up in a, in a second here, and um, they had been given pres- p- positions, he says, I'm going to give you guy, guys a second chance. So let's go through the routine again. We're going to um, play the music, and... Um, And if you don't do it, I'm going to, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. So we read that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. He can do it. But... Even if, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have made. So now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, before they're thrown in, the king says, heat that baby up seven times hotter than it is now. Now that's significant, because what we have here is an Old Testament picture of something that's going to happen during the tribulation period. Why seven, the number seven? Why being put into this this judgment where the people that threw them in, they died. But we read down here in verse 24 that um, they fell down bound in the burning furnace and Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose in haste and spoke saying to his counselors, I thought we threw three men bound into the midst of the fire. They answered and said to the king, true king, he says, look, I see four men. 
walking in the midst of their fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. My point is this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe, um, I won't have you turn here, I'll just quote it from here, is a picture of Revelation chapter 7, where the Lord supernaturally seals 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it protected them during the calamities that came down. And I think this is an Old Testament picture of what is yet to be future. But it goes even deeper than that because the question that has to come up here is where's Daniel? He's always with them before. Why isn't he a part of this picture? Do um, you think Daniel would have bowed down? I don't think so. Was he out on a king's business? I don't know. All I know that it should be significant if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are there, Daniel's not mentioned. And the question is why? And the answer to that question is, I believe that Daniel is a picture of the church and in particular the rapture and therefore he can't be in a scenario because 144,000 are supernaturally protected. Daniel isn't around for a reason. The Holy Spirit left him out. doesn't tell us what he was doing. But um, um, I really believe that's the point that the Holy Spirit is um, trying to get across. Okay, that's, just, that's one um, where we find this connection picture. Um, let me give you just one more. And, um, and that would be Elijah. Okay, Elijah um, was a prophet during the time of King Ahab and Jezebel. Um, he told King Ahab it wouldn't rain till he said so. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. Turn with me to the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And the last thing that the last thing the Old Testament says concerns Elijah. It tells us in Malachi chapter four, verses five and six, this is how the Old Testament ends. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, this is a reference to um, the tribulation period. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. I want you to get familiar with the terminology a double prophecy because this is one. This is quoted of by John the Baptist. John the Baptist um, is the last of the Old Testament prophets, not Malachi. John the Baptist is. And this scripture is actually quoted for him except for the part where Jesus said concerning when um, the Lord took Peter, James, and John up on the mountaintop transfiguration, there was Moses, there was Elijah. And um, 
Peter being Peter. <laughs> oh, this is great, Lord. Man, we should build three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And a voice from heaven cut him off mid-sentence, basically saying, shut up. <laughs> and he said, this is my beloved son. He's the important one. And um, listen to him. And the Lord was transfigured. He was glorified there. So now they're walking down this mountain and they're asking these questions about Elijah. And he says, Elijah has come and indeed he is coming. Okay, that means he has been, but he's gonna come again. And that's what the Lord told the disciples. So when we read these last verses, we know that um, he had the big shootout on Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal. Jezebel threatened his life. He took, took off. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 11, please. And it tells us here, when the Lord said Elijah has come and he is coming, Jesus went on to tell the disciples and they did to him um, what they wanted to. And then it says the disciples understood that Jesus was talking about John the Baptist. But then he said, He's, he is coming. Well, they killed John the Baptist. So when we get to Revelation 11, I'm adamant that um, one of them is Elijah because of the last two verses of the Old Testament. I'm just as adamant about Moses, but... Um, um, there are those who think it possibly could be Enoch or somebody else. So I'm not so dogmatic there. But in Revelation chapter 11, uh, verse six, we're introduced to the two witnesses. They will have been around when the church leaves. The Lord always leaves a witness. You are the light of the world right now. The festival of dedication. The festival of lights. Jesus is the light of the world. Verse six says these two um, witnesses, they have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Well, the question is, how long was the day of their prophecy? Go back to verse three. I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. 1,260 days is exactly three and a half years. And um, then after that, the Antichrist has them killed. And now the Lord still has a witness. He chooses an angel. And that's in chapter 14. That preaches the gospel to the entire world. To every tongue, every nation. And so my point with this is here's just two Old Testament examples that have New Testament implications. And one involves Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being a type of the 144,000 who are supernaturally protected just as they were 
supernaturally protected in the fiery furnace. And the other illustration that I want to give you is this one with Elijah. He was then, but now, turn with me to James chapter five, just to reinforce that Elijah wasn't anybody special. That's what James chapter five, and I'm looking at verses 17 and 18. James 5.17 says, Elijah, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. We have an Old Testament reference to the time frame. Jesus said it himself. And now James is saying it here in James chapter five. All right, that was the foundation that I told you I wanted to lay because of where we're going next. It will be the same this morning as we study the history of Hanukkah. And in particular, of a man whose name is Antioch Epiphanes. And again, I have to give a a little background with this. Antioch Epiphanes was one of the most anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, anti-God rulers in history. He became a ruler in 175 BC. In the fashion of many of his contemporaries, Antiochus was obsessed, and this is gonna be important, with the delusion of deity. His enemies mockingly referred to as Amephimus, meaning madman, in response to his unbelievable cruelty. And um, we will see that the book of Daniel um, ties him directly to the coming Antichrist. So this is where we're headed this morning as we study this man and how he got to be there, that's where we have to start, and to do that, we need to go back to Daniel chapter seven. So let's make our way back to Daniel chapter seven. And of course, the vision that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar and the interpretation by Daniel, um, he sees this image, head of gold, chest of silver, um, stomach and thighs of iron, Um, toes and and feet, clay and and iron mixed together. And um, we know that Daniel interpreted that vision for him. In Daniel chapter seven, verses um, one through 10, we have in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and a vision on his head while on his bed. And then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Let me just stop and say what we're about to read here 
is exactly what we have in Daniel 2, except in Daniel 2, um, the images represented different world empires that would exist. Here they're going to be represented as animals, but it's basically saying the same thing. Babylon, number one, head of gold. Defeated by the Medes and the Persians, who were defeated by Alexander the Great, the Grecian Empire, brought in the Hellenistic lifestyle. And they were defeated by the Romans. So Daniel has this dream. And he says there were four beasts that came up, each different from the other. He says the first one was like a lion. And he had eagle's wings, and I watched till its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Now, you remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He went wacko. Remember, for seven seasons, we don't know if it was seven years or seven seasons, it says his hair grew real long. And he had, his fingernails were all grown. And um, he ate grass. And that's what I believe this means here. He, this is a reference to Nebuchadnezzar. And he was given a man's heart until he woke up one day and he realized that he was nothing and God was everything. So verse four is a reference to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse five And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth and its teeth, and they said to arise and devour much flesh. The bear here would be uh, symbolic of the Medo-Persian Empire, which defeated uh, Babylon. Now verse six. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to them. Following the death of Alexander, um, four of his generals divided the world because um, just one of them couldn't. Uh, could not control the whole. And they are Cassander, who took Macedonia. Lysimachus took um, Asia Minor. Seleucus is the one we're going to be interested in this morning. He took Syria, out of which came the little horn. And then... Um, and in Daniel 8... Antioch, who is Antioch Epiphanes, who wrought such havoc with the temple in Jerusalem, and then finally, Ptolemy. So those are the four. And the two that I'm most interested in this morning is Seleucus, who took Syria, and Ptolemy, who took Egypt, and of course, Cleopatra came along later in time. Now, Israel... Syria is north of Israel. Egypt is west 
and east of Israel. And guess who's right in the middle between these two warring empires? Ptolemy uh, would fight with Seleucus all the time, ongoing battles. And there was more than one Ptolemy. There was Ptolemy of the first and the second and the third and so on. So we, we find that in chapter eight, let's go to chapter eight now, verse five of Daniel. And we have a vision of the male goat, which is a, a, a picture here of um, Alexander. So let's pick it up in verse five. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns. The ram would have been the Medo Persians, which I had seen standing beside the river and ran at him with a furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram and he was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, broke his two horns. Two horns, why two horns? Medes, Persians. They were, there was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great. We're talking about probably the greatest military genius maybe of all time in Alexander the Great. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken and in its place four notable ones came up toward the four winds of the heavens. These would be the four generals that would um, take over Alexander's world kingdom. Now in verse nine, we're introduced to the little horn. And out of one of them, out of one of what? One of these four generals. I'll tell you who he is. It's Seleucus from Syria. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. Uh, While returning from a battle with Ptolemy of Egypt, he goes after Israel. And Antioch's attempt to destroy the worship. So he's coming back from a battle with Ptolemy in Egypt. He's got to go through. The reason Israel is so valuable, when we go to Megiddo, we make a point of saying it's really the crossroads of the world because it connects at Megiddo, the main road that goes into Europe, goes into Asia, and goes into Africa. It's it's the crossroads of the world. And um, in Antioch's attempt to destroy the worship of one God and the Levitical sacrificial system, he sent an army to Jerusalem to dedicate to the gods of Olympia, Olympia and Zeus in December of 168 BC. Organized an attack on Jerusalem on the Sabbath, knowing the Jews wouldn't fight. Destroyed much of the city, slaughtered men, women, and children. 
His goal was to defeat armies and humiliate um, their assimilating into the Greek culture. It's called Hellenism. Everybody familiar with the term Hellenism? It's what Alexander introduced, and he wanted it introduced, get away with the Hebrew religion. And um, he went in and he defiled the Jewish temple by offering, catch this, of all things, a pig on the altar to Zeus and Olympia and sprinkled his blood in the Holy of Holies. The swine broth was poured on holy scrolls of the law. The scrolls contained the word of God, were then ripped in pieces and burned. Enslaved and murdered many Jewish people and forbid all Jews from practicing their faith, including circumcision, the observance of the Sabbath, and sacrifice. Uh, had a bearded image of Jupiter placed in the temple in Jerusalem. And, well, a little sidetrack here. And that is his hatred of Judaism. And my question is, do you guys see a rise in anti-Semitism today? Almost in the news every night. Something being said about it as it continues to grow. And this is all a part of the study and how this is going to tie in with Antioch Epiphanies and Hanukkah. Um, This caused... The Jews to revolt, it is known today as a Maccabean revolt. They were going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not going to submit to this. And so they started a revolt, and this is how it began. The Maccabean revolt began when a delegate of Antiochus IV um, attempted to force Matthias Maccabee a priest who lived in Moldland, to sacrifice to a pagan deity. Matthias refused. But another Jew volunteered to perform the sacrifice. This outraged and overcome by righteous anger, Matthias pulled out his sword and killed both um, the guy from Antioch Epiphany's group the del- and the delegate and the um, inerrant Jew upon the altar. And thus the Maccabean revolt began. So let's go to chapter 8 and look at verse 8. And it tells us, well, we explain who the four generals are in verse um Pick it up in nine, I guess, now. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of hosts, And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. 
because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifice and cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prosper. Okay, basically that's what we just read. And that he offered um, uh, to, he set up a statue of Jupiter and, and that's where he defiled what Jesus would later refer to as the abomination of desolation, yet future. But here it's happening here. And now a question comes up from a couple angels. I heard one of the holy ones speaking in verse 12, and another one said to the certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation? and the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. What is Hanukkah? But the rededicating um, the temple. So there's... Two things I want to do here. One is expose a couple of false doctrines that are out there. Much speculation about 2,300 days. And in my research over the years, um, I'm most happy with uh, J. Verda McGee's insight and his honesty as he seeks to answer this question to how long? How long? Is it going to be in, de- in desolation? So I'm quoting McGee at this point. Uh, there has been a great deal of disagreement as to the interpretation of the 2300 days. Seven day Adventism grew out of the great second Advent awakening, in which this verse was given the day year interpretation. So instead of days, they take it as 2300 days years and the date of Christ's uh, second coming was set up for the year in 1843 how many of you here have heard of the Millerites the Millerites were one William Miller and his followers along with Ellen G. White understood the sanctuary to be the earth which could be cleansed at Jesus' second coming Miller was sincere, but badly mistaken, a Baptist preacher. The day-year interpretation was a fragile, insecure foundation for any theory of prophecy, and history has demonstrated it to be false. Jesus did not return in 1843. However, if the 2300 days are taken as being literally 24-hour days, the period would be between six and seven years, which approximates the time of Antichus, who began to perpetrate his advances against Israel at about 170 BC. Finally, the Jewish priest, Judas Maccabeus, nicknamed the Hammer, drove out the Syrian army. They had 65,000 troops. 
What did the Maccabeans have? Oh, they had pitchforks and clubs, and they practiced what we call tactical um, warfare. In other words, hide out in the woods until they're asleep and then go get them. And they did this for a period of time, and they actually drove out the Syrian army, at which time the temple was cleansed and rededicated after its pollution. This cleansing is celebrated in the Feast of Lights in John 10, 22, our text verse. We read, and it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, uh, or the Dedication of Lights, it was winter, This was one of the holy days celebrated at the time of Christ in which he still is still remembered by the Jews. It is a feast not mentioned in the Old Testament at all because it was established in the in-between times between Malachi and Matthew, period of the Old and the New Testament. Now, turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. And I'm not even going to begin to get into this um, because it is Bible scholars consider it to be the most detailed and accurate fulfillment of Bible prophecies in the Bible. It happened over a 370 year period of time and like I said earlier, it's so spot on they can't deny it. There's too many things. If I would read the whole thing, the ruler of Greece, um, uh, Cleopatra is mentioned in here. Um, uh, The Antichrist um, is mentioned in here. Antioch Epiphanes is mentioned in in here. Matter of fact, if you, uh, um, he just made one reference to here in verse 28 of uh, chapter 11, while returning to his land. Well, where was he coming back from? Again, from Egypt, Ptolemy. Uh, With great riches, his heart will be moved against the holy covenant, and so shall do damage, and then return to his old land. Well, we've covered this ground, but it's being made mentioned up here as a major part of Israel's history and um, how they were caught in the crosshairs between Seleucus and Ptolemy. Um, during this instrumental period came the rise of Antioch Epiphanes, who's a type of the Antichrist of the future. And here's one of my main points this morning. I use the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, type of the 144,000. I use the example of Isaiah. He said it wouldn't rain for three and a half years in the Old Testament, and Jesus said it's gonna happen again in the book of Revelation, exactly three and a half years. Now, one of the main points that I want to bring in is that this man who's obsessed with with himself as being deity, he sees himself as being deity, Um, he was a member, uh, he's a type of the Antichrist of the future, and he's a member 
of the solution family and we will identify him when we come to him in this, in this particular chapter. Um, now, when we get to verse 35, we have a gap. And one of the things I like to point out are there's many gaps in the Old Testament. The one I usually refer to is, uh, is um, in Zechariah, where it says, Behold, your king comes to you lowly, riding on the, the fold of a colt. That was Palm Sunday. That's verse 9. And then in verse 10, the same man is ruling the entire world, ocean to ocean. What do we have? We have a gap in time. That's exactly what we have between verses 35 and 36. Now we've made mention, and you can see the similarities of what the Antichrist is going to do. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, this is Matthew 24, then run, head for the hills, for then there will be a time of great trouble. And we know in Revelation 13 that an image is set up by the false prophet and the command is given that anybody who doesn't worship it, just like Nebuchadnezzar, they'll be killed. So beginning with verse 36, we're fast forwarding to something that is yet future. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. What wrath? Well, Revelation 6, verse 17, the wrath of the Lamb. And has been accomplished and has been determined and it shall be done. Everybody's often wondered, um, making guesses over the years, um, Kissinger, um, other people thought this was the Antichrist. Um, uh, verse 37 says, he shall regard neither God or fathers nor have a desire for women. So we know that Bill Clinton cannot be the Antichrist. <laughs> Some people have thought so. Sorry, I had to slip that in. Nor regard for any gods. Nor regard for any gods for he shall magnify himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God, a fortress, and a God, and a father, as which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and precious things. And thus he will act against the strongest fortress with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. And um, at this point here, it is a continuation that goes all the way up to um, a battle that takes place. Remember it says that the Antichrist will have 10 heads 
but three of them are going to rebel. And this is basically what we have in the rest of us in, in the rest of this chapter, sort of an, a mini overview of the battle that leads up to Armageddon. So we read here, he shall enter the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown, but these will escape from his hand, Edom and Moab. Isn't it interesting that when the Jews flee from the abomination of desolation, that they go to Jordan? What's Jordan? Edom and Moab. And that's where they're supernaturally protected. And the prominent people of Ammon. He will stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He will have power over the treasures of gold and silver and of all the precious things of Egypt. In other words, in other words he has worldwide power over everything and everybody. Is the picture starting to come together? Having power, wanting to have power over everything that men say or do? And finally reaches the point when the Antichrist comes into power, if you don't, you die. I mentioned on Wednesday night, it's happening already in Australia. Uh, They're building these prison camps and throwing the indigenous people um, into these camps. I don't think they're coming out. And a, a lot we don't know and a lot is still unfolding and I don't want to get too far off track here except to say um, that he goes against, he shall have power of the treasures and so on and so forth. Uh, verse 44, but news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Remember in Revelation where three demons that look like frogs are sent to get the kings of the east? The Euphrates rivers dry up so that they can make their way into the valley of Megiddo, which is where the battle of Armageddon takes place. And all of a sudden, the Antichrist, remember he goes out to war and make war? Well, he hears this news from the north that troubles him and, and the east. Therefore, he'll go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And notice where he sets up camp. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. That's between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. We have a little information here with much greater detail given to us in the book of Revelation. On our way there, I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 concerning the future Antichrist, who Antioch Epiphanes is a type and a picture of. 2 Thessalonians 2, let's pick it up at verse 3. It says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed. In other words, the tribulation can't start until there's a peace agreement signed in Daniel 9, verse 27, between the Antichrist and Israel, and he will break that covenant. But that event can't 
begin, the tribulation can't begin until the falling away. Um, my good friend Tommy Ice believes that's a reference to the rapture. Um, I believe more that it's apostasy is the word that's used there instead of falling away. Falling away from what? A falling away from the church. You know how many churches have closed in the last year? How many pastors have resigned? Lots of them. But that's not the reason we're here. Who is this guy? Um, This man of sin, the son of perdition. Well, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is what Satan and the Antichrist, he will be, Satan will be possessing him. This is what he has always wanted. And um, the Lord in his sovereignty is going to allow this to take place. And you go, why in the world would God allow this to take place? And we talked about it on Wednesday night. If you weren't here, I'll just remind you. Remember in the book of Job, chapter one, it says all the angels, including Lucifer, came before the Lord. And um, the Lord says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Hey, there's nobody like him. Um, He has seven sons, three daughters, extremely rich, extremely wise. And... um, it was Lucifer who spoke up. He says, why not? Why, why should he be happy and blessed? You got this hedge set around him. Um, let me at him. And I'll show you what he's really made out of. And this is what the Lord said. He says, it's in your power to do so. But you can't take his life. And my point here is, God is sovereign. In that he would let him go so far, he had a reason, but no farther. He says, I'll let you take his possession, I'll take the hedge of protection around him, and you can have Adam, but you cannot take his life. Why would the Lord ever allow that to happen? Do you know how many millions of people have made it through a day, a life, by reading the book of Job? losing everything, having nothing, but yet learning from Job not to curse God. And what was his attitude when all these things were taken away? This is what he said. Naked I came, naked I go. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I mean, how, how can you get a guy down like that? He failed. And um, so in, as in this case here, The reason for the tribulation is that Jesus said to the Jewish people, you're not gonna see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What was Israel's sin, singular? Their singular sin was they rejected their very Messiah. And he says, you're not gonna see me again until you call out upon me. All the pieces are put together right now And I'm just thinking, Thomas, if you can cue it up, 
before we pray, I'm going to show you a little something. It's only six minutes long. I've known Amir since he was a tour guide with Sorel Tours from um, Calvary Chapel, which is our tour agency. Uh, he then joined the Israeli IDF. He was a colonel in Jericho uh, for years. And um, he was good friends with um, Samuel, who owns the Israeli part of Inspired Travel. And that's how I got to know him. I knew him when, when he was a tour guard. But Sammy's father was the first messianic church in Israel. So he actually grew up as a messianic believer, the person you're about to see. Now he has a worldwide ministry. And some of you are very familiar with Amir Shafati, and that's who you're going to see right now. But the reason I'm playing it And the main point of our study this morning is, my friends, it's late. And um, what we see happening in the Middle East right now is unprecedented. And Amir is going to be able to um, um, explain it. So with that being said, this is Amir Shafate. Go ahead and run it. Ever since I landed back from Dubai and from Europe, we've been... We've been watching something quite remarkable. The Air Force, the Israeli Air Force exercises are the most intense I've ever seen. And may I even add, the planes are fully equipped. Um, My neighbors are, they told me that the the feeling when those F-16s are flying above us is as if it's really, completely, um, it's completely uh, fully ready for a war. Now, I want to connect the dots between three things, okay? First of all, one, the Israeli, um, the Israeli um, defense minister just said yesterday, Israel is getting ready, is preparing itself for a war with Iran, this is important that you understand that we, we don't normally say those things publicly. As far as I know, this is the first time when an Israeli defense minister on live TV is saying that me and the prime minister are fully coordinated. Uh, the military is fully prepared. I also want to tell you that over the last two months or so, I've never seen a series of so many exercises Uh, in the civilian population to know how to behave in a in a major um, rockets attack so one Israel is getting ready to strike in Iran Two, the Israeli population is is being prepared for a long um, missile attack on Israel and three there is a report that is coming out that Iran already acquired enough uh, enrich uranium for a bomb and now all Iran has to do is to put it together and create that bomb now why am I saying all of this because there is a, a very big dispute right now between Israel and the US administration 
The U.S. administration is trying to get back to the Iran deal, but the Iranians are just laughing at them. And it's a circus what's going on. Iran knows that America cannot do anything. Iran is demanding that all U.S. sanctions will be lifted. And that's the only thing we want to talk about. So what we have is this. Iran is running towards nuclear bomb. America is not really... Uh, calculating the full picture of what's going on. Iran was fully emboldened by what they saw with the American withdrawal from Afghanistan. Israel and America are not in agreement on how to handle the situation. The Americans told the Israelis, hey, uh, you can't really drop a bomb anymore. The Iranian uh, nuclear sites are much more sophisticatedly um, hidden from us from all of you. In other words, America is telling Israel, don't do it. It's not going to work. Israel is telling America, we, we are getting ready to do it. Iran, now, now comes another thing. All the Iranian proxies in the region, in Syria and Lebanon, other places, over the last few days and maybe a couple of weeks, we see that they are getting ready for something. They move all their rockets and headquarters from uh, far away places into civilian populated area. They learn from Hezbollah in Lebanon and they learn from Hamas in Gaza. If you hide yourself within population, civilian population, it's going to be hard for Israel to drop the bombs without being accused in the international court for uh, committing war crimes. So basically, what is going on right now is all sides are ready for a full-blown confrontation. And I'm saying that because uh, I've never seen anything like this before here. Um, and then I was reading some of the comments of people about that. And, and somebody said, if Israel will risk striking Iran, watch what he wrote. And I'm talking about a secular Israeli military person. He said, if Israel will strike Iran, there is a danger that Turkey and Russia will respond. And I'm thinking to myself, has this military officer been reading Ezekiel lately? Because I've been talking about the destruction of Damascus as probably the thing that will escalate the whole situation and will probably cause Ezekiel to uh, 38 to come to pass. But should Israel go all the way to Iran and strike the selected military nuclear military sites, um, this is another another level as well, and uh, we might see some immediate reaction. I'm saying all of that because these are the things on the ground. There's a lot of things that are not being said. A lot of things are, you know, under the surface. But I think all of you needs to know that Israel is officially announcing that it is getting ready for a war with Iran. They don't say if it's going to matter of days or weeks or months, but it will happen. That's what they say. If you want daily updates from me, you must download Telegram and go to my channel there, 
it's basically Behold Israel channel or find my name. I've got 161,000 subscribers. Please, that's the only place where I put every day, all day, breaking news from the Middle East. Um, just go to Telegram and stay updated with the latest, okay? All right, so share this with as many as you can. Thank you, God bless you, and Shalom. This is, came out just this last week, and um, we're watching this um, on a regular basis. Let's uh, close this study this morning by saying this. Today is Hanukkah. It's the Festival of Lights. Go back to John chapter 10. And I'm just going to read the rest of it, which has nothing to do with everything we've just studied. It has more to do with, are you ready for this to happen? Do you know about Jesus? Or do you know Jesus? And knowing about him and knowing him personally is the difference between heaven and hell. Some will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that and the other thing? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. But they were doing works in Jesus' name. And those are, that's a pretty heavy word to say. My goal this morning was to show the similarities, the pictures of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Isaiah but now, another picture of a man named Antioch Epiphanes, um, preoccupied with his own deity, c- committing his own abomination of desolation, and it's going to happen again. Now, my hope is, is when you see how in-depth the, the Bible can be, your faith will grow. Good place for an Amen. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. And some of us that um, may be getting new to Bible prophecy are thinking, I had no idea <laughs> that this stuff was so detailed, can be proven that it happened. And I like to go as far as say is to take any prophecy and prove it wrong, and then you can throw your Bible away. That hasn't been done. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word. If he said it, it's going to happen. That's simple. So we'll uh, end this morning by reading with this example of Antioch Epiphanes being a type of the Antichrist. He's coming. (laughs) Not coming, he's here. We just don't know who he is yet. And we won't know who he is until that agreement is made and signed, that seven-year peace treaty. So we left off with... um, Um, one verse. I think this is the longest it's taken me to get through one verse ever. (laughs) But we're just gonna read the rest of up to 30. And this is for those that, isn't there another God, isn't there another way? This answers that question. And Jesus walked into the temple on Solomon's porch, verse 23. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt. If you're the Christ, then tell us plainly. And Jesus answered and said, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do, I do by my Father's name, and they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. 
And as I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let's pray. Lord, a little different study as we look at a very in-depth study on this day being the last day of Hanukkah and how it all came about with the Maccabean revolt and how it's all documented and factual. And um, it was on the Feast of Dedication that you were actually attending while you were in Jerusalem. But Lord, as Amir just shared, uh, it's later than most people realize and things are unfolding very, very quickly. So we wanna have that attitude of um, nothing can change this from happening. So we rejoice in the fact that just as Daniel um, was not a part of the story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We thank you that you have not appointed us to wrath. And we do have a blessed hope. But in the meantime, Lord, use, use us as your instruments to share with family and friends um, the things that are really taking place in the world today. As we conclude this Sunday, I want to pray now as we switch gears and get back into our chapter by chapter, verse by verse, First study through the book of Second Corinthians. I pray for all those here uh, that you go before the rest of our day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.